High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, boyfriends, girlfriends, professional kick-the-can players. How about you insects out there? Oh, and extra special shout-out to our reptilian alien overlords. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where some friends look back their teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the slumber party's at my place this evening. But first, school is still in session, and we have some homework to chat about. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results. So, of course, your weekly homework, very important. First thing, always, wherever you're listening to us right now, hit that subscribe button. It really matters, guys, whether it be on Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, soon to be some other spaces when I find the time, but wherever you're listening, hit that subscribe button. Of course, you can check out all old episodes on cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Our archive is there. It's the home of so many other great shows. You definitely want to check it out. Great pop culture stuff there, that's for sure. Regular homework, though? of course, is to listen to the last episode we had, and that was last Friday's episode, and it was a damn, damn good one. The Godfather himself, Joey Lewandowski, was here, and we talked The Babysitter. But not The Babysitter 1, we talked that already, but we talked The Babysitter Part 2. I'm doing like the Ghostbusters Ghost Part 2 right now, but it's not called that. It's called The Babysitter, Killer Queen. I've confused you. I'm sorry. Just check it out in our archives. It's a really fun episode. Always great having Joey on. We're going to have him on for some more Halloween episodes as soon as I book him. He's a busy man, but Joey, if you're listening, you're coming on for October. Don't worry. But it's still September. It's still our first month of our junior year, so we got to talk about the movie we're talking about today, right? And that's Nowhere. Greg Araki's the director. Galen Howard is our first guest. He brought it to our attention, and Mike Manzi is our second guest. I can't really call him the second guest. He's like the most tenured guest on High School Slumber Party, so we'll give him equal billing, whatever, but can't wait, can't wait for you guys to, I don't know, digest this one, because this is such an interesting film. It's very hard to find, so if you didn't do your homework, if you couldn't see it somehow, then I hope you at least read the Wikipedia article or read some articles online, because it's going to be very helpful today. If not, you're going to be very confused. But listen anyway, because even if you're confused, you're going to have a good time, because i got to be honest with you, watching Nowhere, I was very confused anyway, so <laughs> it really, really does not matter, but I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're going to enjoy Nowhere with us. Yeah, it's going to be a good day. I have positive vibes today. Oh no, just when I was feeling good, don't get up. The bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. Come on, guys. Whoa, whoa. Jeez. <sighs> depressing me today, depressing me. I was feeling so good before that bell, but school's out, but not in my classroom. And it's a Monday anyway, it's not a Friday. We have a full week of stuff. Well, there's only 
two high school slumber parties a week, but there's a full week of school in this weird analogy that I do here biweekly these days. Couple things, couple somber things. Well, one really, rest in peace, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Wow, what a big loss. If you don't know her, maybe you're from another part of the world, but a great Supreme Court justice, a civil rights pioneer, someone who fought for equal rights. She's just, she's going to be missed. I don't talk politics a lot on this show, but wow, I mean, she is going to be missed. R.I.P. R.B.G. Should I do a, should I do a high school movie news? Should I keep you longer in this classroom? Well, I'm not going to do an official one. I'm not going to play that cool theme song, but I will say, high school movie news related, did you guys watch the table read for Fast Times? First of all, topical. We just covered Fast Times with Dan Colon and a little bit of Christian Larson. You want to check that out on the archive. But wow, it had like Brad Pitt, Jennifer Aniston. It was just so good. I don't want to spoil too much of it, but Shia LaBeouf, let's just say he plays Spicoli, but he more is Spicoli. I'm going to leave it at that. Wherever you could find it, check out this table read of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I'm usually not a big fan of these things, but this one was mwah, chef's kiss. I can't say enough good things about it. Oof. 2020 has been a really tough year, a really hard year, just emotionally draining year. But you know what? We do get these little nuggets of nice things like that table read. Of course, we have to endure a lot of, a lot of really bad things, and I'm Gonna give a shout out to my healthcare heroes as always, but uh, 2020. I'm rambling now. I'm keeping you here. I'll let you go. Don't worry. We're gonna have fun today. So pack your favorite jammies. Tell your mother you're sleeping at Brian's because we're about to get our party on. I leave you with a song on the soundtrack. Kind of a controversial soundtrack because it's kind of the reason why the movie isn't more widely available today, but I digress. The song is by Hole. And it is called Dick Nail. Class <laughs> dismissed. Society Trio is back today. I'm, I'm so excited to have you guys. <laughs> Me too. It's like a badge of honor. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. People really dug that episode. I think if you know society and you like society, you're incredibly interested in what other people have to think about society so it makes sense to me absolutely it's one of those friendship test films i think as mike was talking about that the last time <laughs> well mike then roommate failed right oh no i mean she came back but you know <laughs> but a little she give it another try or eventually eventually we finished it together so okay good all right, so success, success. But today we're talking a different film, Nowhere from 1997. But before any of that, Mike, why don't you lead us in with the introductions first as, as our senior oh, high school yeah. slumber party member? Okay, so uh, Mike Manzi, RHS, class of 1997, go Maroons. Yay. Galen Howard, class of 2001, Natomas Charter School, The Knights. 
I think we, I don't know if it was the knights, but there was a knight somewhere. So we just referred to that. <laughs> like a medieval knight, not like a knight with an N, because that would be interesting too. Multiple knights, <laughs> j- just ethereal darkness. Our mascot, that'd be great. Like the time of day, as in the night. Like we are <laughs> the night. <laughs> right. That, that's actually yes. pretty badass. Because the night is made for lovers. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> And Galen, when we originally connected, this film, Nowhere, was on your original list. I hadn't seen it. I hadn't even really heard of it. I did a little research. I'm like, okay, this guy. But it was very hard to find. But before we get into into that, why Nowhere? Uh, Had you seen it before? Do you have history with this film? I hadn't seen this particular Greg Araki film. He's a very interesting fascinating filmmaker with a lot of ongoing, a lot of recurring themes in his films. You can definitely see a lot of that. This was my first time seeing this one, but I was familiar with kind of the rest of his oeuvre. I was very interested in what he was going to bring to the the high school experience. And I think... I think in general, like I, when I was bringing to you the films I wanted to do, I'm there. Were a lot of it was like society, you know, like some of the others I'd like to do eventually. You know, there's a, a lot of much weirder, more surreal and dark than a lot, than maybe a lot of the other selection. And I, I think part of that's just because of my general aesthetic, and also just because I think, in general, like there's still no better way to depict the high school experience. I think your teenage years outside of birth and death are some of the most surreal experiences of your entire life. He just really captures that. Yeah, I mean, definitely. This is something where, as I alluded to, super hard to find. Not that it wasn't famous, though, because I saw... Well, there's not a lot of scholarship on it, I'll give you that. But yes, I mentioned it to a couple people, and they were at least familiar with it. But... I couldn't find it anywhere. Well, I, I could find it nowhere, I guess. Haha. But, <laughs> but, but Mike, when, when I brought it up to you, you're like, oh, I own that movie. So what's your history with Nowhere? Uh, right. So, uh, yeah, I got it off eBay a couple of years ago because okay. I think I have a bootleg. I'm not sure, but it's a pretty official one. It's a really good copy. I, it's weird. Like, I had been kind of tracking this movie down for a couple of years, to be honest. I had seen it once in high school on cable I had no idea what I was watching. You know, this was probably the year after I graduated, because if it came out in 97, I must have seen it in 98. I know Greg Araki mostly from the VHS cover of Doom Generation. (laughs) (laughs) Brian, this is this Brian uh, might even qualify as a secret third times a charm episode because I wasn't even aware this was part of his teen apocalypse trilogy. This is apparently part three. Part one is a movie called Totally Fucked Up. Then there's yes. Doom Generation, and then there's Nowhere. So I saw this movie when I was a teenager. I had no idea what it was. I had no idea what the name was, anything like that. I recognized <laughs> the main character from Independence Day. So when IMDb burst on the scene, I remember one day I was sort of cruising around, checking out people, and he came around. And then I was like, oh, shit, this is that movie. Like, I finally tracked it down. So wow. then I tried to find it online, and it's unavailable, or it's like $100. So yep. I turned to eBay and I found it there. And then I watched it once and I put it on the shelf. I was like, oh, okay, this is like, I remember it's like a Requiem for a Dream. It's like an amazing movie I never want to see again in my life. Uh, <laughs> I, I totally love it. I appreciate everything about it, but I'm not watching it ever again. I'm keeping it as sort of like a collector's piece. But then you came knocking and I was like, I should, I should give it another world. You know, it's been about a, a I'd say it's been about a decade since I've seen this. Wow. Wow. And I'm actually, I borrowed your copy. So it's potentially (laughs) bootleg copy. So that's how I, that's how I saw it. Yeah. 
I love that description, Mike. I think, I mean, I think this is kind of a, a film like this is, is kind of a battle scar. It's like, look what I survived. Look what I watched. You know, you yeah. don't necessarily need to revisit it, but, but, but the fact that you, you survived it and you can maybe find someone out there who also has that experience, you know? Yeah. I remember yeah, being, I, affect, I remember being affected by it, not understanding why and needing to sort yeah. of explore those feelings again someday. And so I was glad to finally track it down and figure it all out and make all this, all the connections. So, yeah, yeah. here we are. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I have very little experience in this world and this kind of cinema, so I was definitely happy to see it, but I might need to lean on you peoples out there because, not that I have questions, because I really enjoyed it too, but if you expect me here to be like, know every character's name and every uh, <laughs> subplot, then everyone listening is sorely mistaken. <laughs> I'll try my best, but... Like, like I said, I did enjoy it, but back of the DVD, always read every week. And Mike, this is your bootleg, so it might be back of a bootleg. Who knows? First time reading it. Let's see. <laughs> Join Greg Araki, director of The Living End and The Doom Generation, like you said, on a trip through a bizarre netherworld of lust, longing, and alien resurrection. Dark Smith, James Duvall, star of Independence Day, is looking for love in all the wrong places. He's, sorry, it's a little blurry here. <laughs> He's besotted by Mel, but she can't commit to any one person or gender. And and cruising the local LA hangout, the whole, he finds everyone else is having the same extreme relationship problems. Then he meets Montgomery, and things start to get better. But it's Apocalypse Day, and that also signals the start of surreal weirdness and satirical depravity. Plus, the end of the world, dot dot dot, sort of. Hip, hilarious, and visually stunning. Nowhere is a pretty cool place to be. <laughs> you can tell that whoever was writing wrote wrote that like added that at the end. They were like, <laughs> "We gotta, we, there's gotta be something here. It's a pretty cool place to be." Like that's that's like off of like can't hardly wait or something. I mean, yeah, really. <laughs> it really made it feel yeah more of like a John Hughes comedy there at the end. <laughs> at the end, oh, it's a pretty cool place to be. Don't you want to watch this? <laughs> With your friends, uh, yeah, it just—it's pretty great. Yeah, I mean, I—it's always a good sign when someone like doesn't know how to market something. Yeah, I was gonna say like, how do you sell this to like mainstream people? Theoretically, you have to have <laughs> a fun hook, like, oh, cool party movie, you know? Right, <laughs> exactly. And if that was you know sort of written by whoever made the copy, like I don't, you know, I'm not sure if you know <laughs> what he got out of the movie exactly. Right. <laughs> Yeah, but did he even did he even watch the movie? I mean, that's the other question. Very good too. <laughs> I always ask that. Uh, so, production yeah. notes. As I said, mm -hmm. there's not too many. Mike, you stole most of mine. <laughs> this is part of the Teen Apocalypse trilogy. Yes. And had either of you seen the other films in this? I still haven't, but I've seen I've seen enough of his other movies to know kind of some of the ongoing themes. Like up, uh, like end of the world is definitely an ongoing theme in that. That's uh, you know he he explores that in a in a lot of his other films. A more recent film called Kaboom uh, was basically all about that, and especially kind of the youth culture fearing the end of the world is is kind of an ongoing theme, which is interesting. Ah, that's cool. How about you, Mike? Any any Greg Araki 
knowledge? You know, um, surprisingly, no, not really. You know, outside of the movies we were talking about, I've heard of Mysterious Skin. I mean, I remember that getting a lot of uh, attention at the time that came out. And maybe that might have been around the time that I rediscovered this movie, too. Maybe that might be one of those connections there. But no, you know, like I said, I saw the VHS box of Doom Generation every Friday night there on the shelf, never picked it up, even though <laughs> Rose McGowan was right there on the cover. Uh, that's mm-hmm. how I sort of knew that movie from was that was like one of her breakthrough roles or. But yeah. yeah, no, like I really don't know anything about him really outside of this. I mean, it, it comes it comes across like at a time to me, we, we get to this a lot in like Charlize because she was in a lot of not this type of movie, but she was in a lot of these independent cinema films of the 90s that came in the wave mm. after Tarantinoism, where just blank checks were flying around left and right. And and people were looking for like the most like eclectic, you know, incomprehensible sort of mismatched movie script or whatever concept that they could find. And I think, you know, mm. here comes Greg with his point of view, which is like Tim Burton on acid. Yeah. He's already on acid. And <laughs> I feel like it's like you strike gold, you know, it's like all these weird little combinations of the moment and this guy gets a shot. And um, as far as I'm concerned, like there's just no one else like him, you know, and granted, I've only seen like maybe one and a half of his films, but (laughs) I've seen this one three times and I can guarantee like I've not seen an American film at least quite like it. I will only raise issue with you that I think Tim Burton is more on absent. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Mike, yeah, I have to agree with you, especially in this podcast. There aren't a lot of films that I've seen like this. I'll put it that way. A couple other notes. You mentioned the budget thing, Mike, and I don't know. Blank check might be an overstatement, but you're not too wrong. That's pretty much the reason why the DVD is hard to find now. They allowed in the budget a lot of room to buy music, and there's a lot of cool music in this. And the distribution, current distribution budgets do not allow for that. So it's like, do we strip, do we strip down the music and do like what sitcoms did and have like sound alikes and fake things? Probably not. That would probably be this film. Well, especially since so much of the soundtrack ties into the narrative or is otherwise didactic, you know, absolutely really hard to take it out. Yeah. Indie filmmakers out there, if you want your movie to have long-term distribution, which is usually not a goal of you indie filmmakers, but if it is, <laughs> do not put expensive music in it. Well, that's the whole right. way like the industry's changed since, for sure, I think, is people yeah. think much more about long-term. People think much more about creating original music, mm-hmm. new, new musicians that don't really have um, big hits yet that they're hoping to break on their scores and so all that kind of stuff so yeah that's unfortunate about this particular film yeah we've actually talked about that a bunch on this podcast for hard to find films i mean angus Angus being one of them that's right and and you mentioned to me coming up you're gonna be talking about valley girl and even i didn't know that Mm -hmm. all of the current versions of valley girl are missing an original song from the soundtrack wow Wow. Interesting. Yeah, because that was a very low-budget film, too. That was an in, independent production. And so, yeah, I think they lost a lot of the, the rights to some of those songs. Yeah, yeah, that happens a lot. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I guess it might take us a while. We don't have to touch everybody, but let's talk about this cast because, for me, this was the most shocking thing. <laughs> but no, Okay, mm-hmm. that's an overstatement, too. It's not the most shocking thing about this film, but it was one of the most shocking things about this film in terms of just how many known 
commodities are in this movie. I was like, oh my God. You know, Mike, when you gave me a bootleg DVD, I didn't expect to see all these stars, if you will. And wow. Absolutely. <laughs> what a cast. We'll just start quickly with, with James Duvall, who plays Dark, and he's our lead. Mike, you mentioned he's in Independence Day. Seems like he's in other Greg Araki films. I'd seen him in a couple of his stuff. Yeah, he shows up in Greg Araki a lot. And he's also known as um, Frank the Bunny in Donnie Darko. Oh, yeah. yes, yes. Cool. He also, to me, is who I was calling all day, not Keanu. Um, he's, <laughs> he's like a more emotive, I don't want to say he's, I mean, it's hard to say he's a better actor than Keanu. I mean, he just hasn't gotten the break. But like, he is like, if this guy was a star, he could replace Keanu in so much stuff. It's crazy. Absolutely. It's like, for me, it was always like, yeah, he's like the indie Keanu, just like Norman Reedus is the indie DiCaprio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. I thought that too. I'm like, wow, this guy's got real Keanu vibes. It reminded me of some of the early Keanu stuff. Not the film itself, mm. but seeing him like that. Oh, you know? but he could have been Ted for sure. You know, like he's a total ringer. Absolutely. He would have fit really well into something like My Own Private Idaho, too. Yeah, oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. That's what I was thinking, actually. Like, I, I just yeah. saw him in that film. It's amazing. I really like him. Mm -hmm. And then Rachel True plays Mel. We know her on this podcast, uh, if you're fans of The Craft. Yes. I've always liked her, too. <laughs> I think she's in Half Baked as well. <laughs> Big list. Let's see. Who else can we talk about? <laughs> Jordan Ladd. Jordan uh, Ladd. Robertson. Uh, Christina Applegate. Yeah. yeah, Christina yeah. Applegate as Dingbat. I thought she was great in this because it's, it's such a different Christina Applegate performance that I'm used to, uh, especially, you know, what did we talk about earlier this summer? Oh, don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. <laughs> Certainly yeah, not this well, film. I mean, I even grew up with uh, Buried with Children. So when I, I saw her here, she looks younger than she did in that show. And she's older by like a decade. It's like so jarring yeah. to see. It's amazing. Uh, Debbie Mazur is in this film. I really like her. Oh, Ryan Philippi and oh, yeah. Roller Girl. Like, small part. Those two, but them as a duo are like the scariest as far as oh, I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Heather Graham. Uh, Scott Kahn. Yes. Oh, yeah. One of my favorite performances was from someone who I wasn't familiar with much. was a woman going to uh, mispronounce her last name. Sarah Lassay or Lassez or um, she played yes. Egg. Egg, Egg, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Her, she was incredible. Her performance is is so haunting in this. It's so good. And I actually, I was like, wait, all these other like very famous people here today. Maybe I'm just not recognizing this person's face or whatever because she's like outshining a lot of them. But you're absolutely yeah. right. Like she was great. She stole scenes. Hundred percent, and you know, easily the most one of the most tragic characters in the film. Yeah, I mean, just her her arc is just at the end. It's just devastating. It's strange because like the leads in this movie are sort of the real indie stars, and then like it's populated with all the secondary characters that are like Shannon Doherty and like you know what I mean. Like you see like oh right. Hollywood stars, like you know even two of the Brady Bunch are in this movie as parents. Like you know talk about like great stunt casting as far as like trying to contrast the values of those days and today <laughs> and yeah. like kids and parents you know sort of the culture gap as well going on between them and everything so it's kind of shocking in that way uh, I'm amazed he got so many of them here together and yeah. it's just you know it just ups the level of the production so much. And in fact, all of the the adults in the cast were were 70s television icons. You've got the Brady Bunch, uh, but but then you've got uh, John Ritter. And, yeah, John Ritter as like the oh, televangelist. Yeah. yeah, and like Charlotte Ray from The Facts of Life. And um, <laughs> that, 
Beverly D'Angelo from the vacation um, yeah. movies. I mean, so they're all, uh, you know, kind of icons from that, uh, from the previous generation. And so then it's, they, they're kind of butting up against, uh, you know, these kind of icons of the MTV generation. So that's such an interesting casting there. Obviously, there's a metaphor behind that. Oh, for sure. And like, it's it's awesome. Like, I, I just was yeah. watching, I'm like, is that Beverly D'Angelo? No. <laughs> I'm like, oh, shit, it is. <laughs> Who else did I have in my list? Oh, Mina Suvari. Obviously, we've talked about oh, her yes. on the podcast as yeah. well. Was this one of her one of her first roles? I mean, because yeah, I, it was, yeah, because because yeah, we, we you know we really only saw her you know in uh, American Beauty. I mean, that was her first real introduction to audiences. Yeah, I mean, American Beauty, but American Pie. We did a right. What did we do same here? yeah, same year. Yeah, Sugar and Spice is a film we did on here with her. Not a very known. Oh, film. Oh, is that but... a cheerleading movie where they go Rob Banks? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I was happy to see her here too. I think like Denise Richards has a cameo. We've, we've talked about her from Instruction Troopers, but everyone knows Denise Richards. Tracy I, Lord pops up in a cameo. Crazy. Just crazy. I, I'm so fascinated with the making of this film. And I wasn't able to find an article to tell me like what kind of power Greg Araki had to be like, hey, <laughs> everyone be in my movie. Apparently it took like three years to shoot. So a lot of the cameos mm. were just like, oh, let's work on oh, your schedule. That's what that's I read. A- that's pretty oh, cool. cool. I love that. I love to kind of hear. I mean, it kind of sucks. It took so long, but there's a real like sort of. I mean, I, there's that same story about swingers, right? Where they would like shoot on mm. weekends or whenever everyone can get together, and they just cobbled that movie together over as long as it takes. Like that's that's cool to hear. That's maybe why there's so many of these celebrities in here because you could just shoot them whenever you could. And then just put it all together. Yeah. I mean, which makes sense. You know, you have a hot indie director yeah. coming up and he's like, hey, want to be in my movie? We'll work on your schedule, on your time. It's only going to take a day. It's like, I mean, right. for someone who is born and raised and lived their entire life, you know, uh, in the tri-state area on this side of, the, of, of America, like, I don't know mm. exactly what it's like to live in California, let alone L.A., right? But yeah. Forgive me, Galen. Are you at a Los Angeles resident? Are you not? I am. A, I'm a Los Angeles resident of California native, Los Angeles resident for ten years. This movie kind of, I got a feeling of like what it feels like to live there twenty four seven and be in the industry. Sometimes is just like you run into famous people, but it doesn't really register, and everybody's famous, and it's just like overload. And so. Maybe the movie is trying to say something like that to someone who doesn't live in in that part of the country or in that area who's very sort of interested in that culture. But I don't know. I could just be off on a, on a wild idea there. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's definitely uh, conscious. My sense is that this is really like his response to things like uh, Beverly Hills 90210. Ah, yeah. Yeah, I, like Melrose okay. Place. Melrose Which, Place, oh. Beverly Hills, where, yeah, where there's this kind of very glorified sense of that kind of culture. And, you know, and he really wanted to show just kind of the, the surreal kind of warped mentality and just, you know, the, 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 that it is this sort of simulated reality. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's why this movie hit me so hard when I first saw it is because I did watch like 902 and 0 with my sister growing up, right? Sure. You know, because you have to share televisions. Or I was interested in what Brandon was up to. Let's not, I'm not going to be, you know, I liked, I liked Kelly and Donna. Like, come on, I'm a real person. But you're right. Like, even watching it, it's, it got so fucking boring because, I mean, Kelly got a Coke habit at one point but it took so long for that to, for anything interesting to really happen on that show and then this comes along and yes it's surreal and heightened but 
at its core, it felt so much more real to me. You know, it felt like it was coming from such a more honest, realistic place of someone who had actually like been through it. And like, you know, having seen it right after high school, I kind of maybe I, I, I identified with it on that level of sort of like, yes, uh, how weird and fucked up your perception of the world is when you're growing up as a teenager, going through puberty, your body changing and just like not understanding what the fuck is going on. Right. For sure. I mean, this is kind of like a lot of movies we've done recently, but uh, society actually being one of them where like. I doubt anyone watches this and doesn't have an opinion at all. Right. You can't be neutral about a film like this. Yeah. And it, it really did stick with me. And, you know, one of the things that I want to bring up, too, is just this is one of the first, you know, I guess it's a shame, but this is one of the first, like, movies we've done on this podcast. Not the first, but one of the first that just deals with, like, the uh, LGBTQ experience and specifically, like, bisexuality, which, I I mean, again, in 1997, it just was super amazing to see. Absolutely. Yeah, and I even feel like being a teenager at the time, like, you, you know, there's not a lot of this type of exposure in film and cinema. Like, we're just hearing now about... If It makes a lot of sense, you know, in hindsight, but the Wachowskis have come out and talked about how The Matrix is, you know, a transgender metaphor at times... Uh, it's kind of what they're going for, right. but it's a closeted view because they could not come out and say that with a major film like in War- like distributed by Warner Brothers, you know, and like all that kind of shit. But Greg Araki could, and thankfully he could. And unfortunately, though, it did all have to sort of fly under a certain radar as far as exposure goes. But it is great that they are there and, you know, they exist in the first place. Right. That was That was definitely the you know, kind of the divide at the time. It was either you had something like this that was, that reached only a very small audience or you had to very thickly veil your, um, your, your metaphors and messages to a, to a more mainstream audience. Yeah, and I, for years, was that mainstream audience and that's all I was seeing. So it was really cool yeah. to see the other side of that coin, if you will. Um, so, I mean, l- let's get into it. Let's talk about, I don't know, favorite scenes or moments, but just... What were some things you, uh, you know, sparked your interest in this film? <laughs> uh, I mean, visually, it's stunning. I think that uh, the production designer just deserves Oscars. Um, oh, yeah. It, it just, I'm, I'm also extremely impressed with its ability to maintain the tone that it goes for, like this very striking sort of, uh, it being sort of described as like an apocalypse, like is is very fitting even if the world doesn't end because as a teenager the world's always ending you know so like i feel like it really struck that chord really well where it's a movie it's not it feels like the world could end at any moment uh but it's just another day in a in a lot of ways which is almost even more frightening that you know he will go through this again and again it's hard to really pinpoint a specific moment i don't want to say like i I don't like parts of this movie either, but there's very disturbing moments in this movie, like several extremely disturbing moments. And like, if you've seen society, like that's one thing, you know, but, (laughs) (laughs) but this is like, you know, teenagers and, and brutality and it's very sort of spontaneous and out of nowhere. And it, and it's sort of uh, designed to catch you off guard and uh, becomes sort of horrific at times. And, uh, you know, I like that about it too. Like the idea that it can do that and get away with it and, you know, 
like in a requiem of a dream type of way, just be able to appall me, but do it in a way that I understand why it's being done. Yeah. It definitely says something when when a film like this uh, trumps a movie where where someone gets gets their insides yanked out from their crotch. <laughs> Mike, just say it. Nowhere makes society look like can't buy me love. Okay, I mean, is that the tagline? <laughs> is that? <laughs> That's perfect for the back of the box. <laughs> That's how I roll. No. <laughs> yeah, I do love. The way that, again, it looks and the way even it begins, they kind of ease you into the things that are going to happen, but not so much into the world. Like the way uh, Dark's room looks and his mother, I think we start in like the shower, right? And he's like masturbating and she's like, eventually she goes like, are you flogging the puppy or something along those lines? (laughs) Yes, flogging the puppy was the one, yeah. Pretty much you watch it, you're like, okay, this is the kind of movie we're getting today. And then you get all these like teen tropes too, like Mm -hmm. when they're driving to the coffee house in, in the convertible you know it's just so by the way mike with the bikini kill sticker i don't know if you noticed that oh yeah so bikini kill was the last live concert i attended last year around this time when they in new york city yeah that was just epic and i shed a tear i shed a tear (laughs) (laughs) the way montgomery he's like uh he's bi-eyed uh oh yeah heterochromia a very groovy mutation that's from that's from one of the X-Men movies. That's how Professor X picked up a girl at a bar. He's like, hey, you've got heterochromia, two different eyes. Very groovy mutation, baby. Really? Yeah, in first class. And, it, and she fell for it. It was amazing. <laughs> Good reference there. There you go. Per- yeah, perf- perfectly placed. Yeah. Another high school movie, Brian. I mean, Xavier's Mansion for Gifted Youngsters or whatever. Yeah. I didn't count that one. Does that? Huh. Got to add it to the list. Oh. Mm. The ever-growing list. Interesting. First class. Okay. Oh, you're doing it like right now. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll forget. <laughs> Are you kidding me? What? You don't edit these? Like, you don't go back? <laughs> True. Fair. But, you know, sometimes I'm half asleep. I'm sorry. I'm editing them. No, I don't care. Um, and then again, when we get into the coffee house, just how this is operating, like there's elements here that are so realistic to like depictions on film of teen life. And then there's things that are just the what they're saying is so crazy sometimes. Oh, I mean, what do you guys think of this whole, I guess, this coffee house scene? Well, I mean, I've, I went to coffee shops after school all the time in high school. So, like, yeah, it, it's it's like this weird alternate version of reality, right? Where, like, they're doing things that high school kids are doing, but everything is just amped up to, right. like, this extreme level. Because even the way they're talking with their accent or whatever it's not quite valley girl kind of stuff but it is very like sarcastic and all that and like that's when i definitely discovered you know sarcasm was in high school and you really used to lay it on thick so all the stuff they're talking about like kick the can and shit like almost doesn't even matter you know like i don't know what they mean by kick the can until like they're actually playing a game of kick the can i think on ecstasy but Right. You know, it's crazy how much they're, you know, because I think they're also cutting class and things. So it's like amazing right. how much they're doing normal high school shit, but how much it just doesn't feel like normal high school shit. There's a normalcy and mundanity to, to everything they're talking about, but the way it's delivered, it has this sort of, um, it has this heightened quality to it. It's almost this sort of new wave kind of prose, kind, you know, kind of way of speaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like Shakespearean by way of Venice Beach. 
That's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah. We have Dark and Lucifer and Zero. Lucifer. Egg, as we mentioned. Uh, Zero. Kofi, so, oh. Yeah. Gangbat. Yeah. Cowboy. Cowboy, yeah. Played by Guillermo Diaz. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I wondered at one time if they were just all nicknames or something like that, because I never, no one ever called me Mike in high school. They always called me Mans. I mean, you know, it was just like even an abbreviation mm. of my last name. It's like, what the fuck? Like, I don't even remember where that came from, but like, it kind of just stuck. And so I wondered at one point if that was that. But then, like, when his mom calls him dark and adults refer to these people by those names and stuff, I'm like, no, right. like, these are their names. And like, <laughs> maybe that's why. <laughs> You know, they need therapy. <laughs> Part of the reason. Yeah, but but it's also this idea of, you know, taking taking some of those elements of high school and like projecting them outward into reality. And this idea mm-hmm. of, you know, yeah, everyone everyone refers to them as their nicknames. And, you know, we never actually, you know, really see them. You know, we barely even see them in high school. And that it's like, you know, there's this kind of other reality that they're living in that kind of then gets just expand it outward. Yeah, and, there, and I always liked in movies when it's a little more subtle when names actually mean something about the character, but I think it's also in this movie like, no, they are their names. Like, dark is very dark, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's always like, like I said, it's the end of the world. Lucifer is... You know, she is very much that kind of prankster, jokester, Lucifer character. Egg is extremely fragile like an egg, right? So I think there's more to it than what I was originally thinking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, and the you know, and the character Zero is kind of a younger character, sort of, and and sort of the the underling of mm-hmm. of, of everyone else. Yeah, like zero experience. Yeah. Zero experience, zero status. Yeah, kind of the underdog. Yeah, and just some of the lines I would write down or in terms of that, or like the names of places, isn't there like, isn't the club called the butt crack or something? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but like how refreshing to not have to code anything or to, or to use mm. a code that is, I don't know how to exactly say it, like maybe breakable or like already known in a way. Like you didn't, you know, like I think the people that he made this for know what he's talking about. Not that he didn't make this for everybody to enjoy, but I think that, you know, he certainly has a crowd that he might've been targeting and anyone else who got into the crossfire, like the more the merrier probably. But that's just sort of how it felt to me where it's like, why not call it the butt crack? Like what's, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, I understand, but like, why can't, you know, Tony Stark's favorite drink be like, well, they do go through the devil's anus in Thor Ragnarok. So I guess eventually <laughs> like they start to loosen up a little bit, intended. <laughs> but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I like how one of the bands playing there was called Sandy Duncan's eye. I just wanted to mention. I that. think that's a real band. Though. Is it? <laughs> That's yeah, a great name. that's a great name. Yeah, and um, was it Jane Mansfield's head? Is that what it was called, or something like that? <laughs> so, yeah, I think yeah, so. yeah. There was a Seattle band in the late two thousands. I remember seeing that was that called themselves uh, Natalie Portman's shaved head. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, made me think of that. Oh, you're right. Sandy Duncan's Eye, a real band. Sandy Duncan's Eye, wow. Good to know. Shout out to Sandy Duncan's Eye. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's like this meat cute in the bathroom here, too, right? That's like not like a meat cute you've ever seen in any other movie, I'm sure. It's like this hot celebrity guy, supposedly. And he just runs into egg in the bathroom and 
you think they're going to have this beautiful story and, you know, we'll get into how that turns out. Um, how that turns out. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. And, there, and, there's, and there's this kind of meta quality to that because they say something about like, oh, he looks like like one of the guys from Baywatch. And th- that is an actor from Baywatch. Oh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> that makes so much sense. That's awesome. Uh, Jason Simmons it was uh, an Australian actor who originated on Baywatch. That's so cool. <laughs> um, not everything about that character, but not everything as we'll find out. <laughs> no, but I mean, also like what a interesting choice for him to take, like where, I don't know. He, I'm, I'm glad he wasn't afraid that people would confuse him for his actual character, considering he does play someone who's on Baywatch. And... Right. And it, right. And that he's willing to kind of comment on the, on the sort of, uh, you know, comment on the, on, you know, on the role that, you know, those kind of iconic characters would it would play at the time and the you know the kind of idea that you know how how so many people would idolize these certain you know especially like young people coming of age would idolize these certain kind of heartthrob characters and then in a way kind of be betrayed by them because they are just characters they're unrealistic you know amalgams of uh, you know uh, of uh, unrealistic expectations i definitely I remember getting a sense of, so, I mean, maybe not being able to put my finger on it, but watching this uh, and seeing like all these other famous people show up being like, oh, like they're not the people they play on that show. Like they're actors that like have range and like to do other stuff. And, th- and I think this was one of those movies that, believe it or not, like kind of sort of, I mean, I did see it when I was a teenager. So like it kind of did open my eyes a little more in that regard to be like, never sort of prejudge what an actor like can or should do like everyone sort of has the ability to to expand or try whatever they want and well i don't think everybody who's in this movie is necessarily successfully doing their doing what they're doing or whatever i'm glad that like ryan Phillippe's here you know i'm glad that it's christina applegate here it messes with your senses in a really good way and i think even the the characters that aren't as strong as some of the others even if you know they're their performance kind of, you know, misses the mark. I think, you know, in this sort of surreal world that he's created, even when it doesn't work, it still works because there's, it, it's kind of, it almost is like commenting on the fact that this performance isn't, you know, is out of place. It almost, it does almost have that kind of meta quality to it. It's weird because it feels like it could get away with anything. Like, you know, like it it breaks the rules so soon and does things so immediately. Yeah. That like, and it keeps going like till the end, you know, like it keeps going and it's always like, you never know what's going to happen. So for him to be able to keep that up, like he really could have done like any, he did, he did anything he wanted. And I think that is just like remarkable, really. That, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like, like, like some films, yeah. Like some films like started around like a two or a three and, you know, before they get to a 10 and this one's like, I feel like starts at a 10 and like ends up at like a 25. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and I just, like, I'm going to mention a movie later that kind of, I don't know, it's in the same kind of tradition, but it sort of fumbles the ball in a way, not necessarily its own fault or anything, but again, just like the stamina of this, um, of the production just like always floored me the most, just the energy behind it and the ability to keep that up. Yeah, I mean, that's a testament to it as well, considering what I mentioned before, that they shot it over a long period of time, that they were able to keep that energy up. But I guess when you have such a such a vision like this, it's not as crazy as it seems. And also, not that I didn't follow everyone's story, I want to be clear, but like it was moving so fast that it didn't really matter um, it was, it's such a visual trip, but 
we're not going to be able to get into every single person's character arc <laughs> because it is a big cast. So it's huge, yeah. I, I know we mentioned some already, but what are some of your guys like favorites or, you know, in terms of the discussion here, which do you want to focus on or talk about? We're introduced and end with um, end with Dark. I think he is sort of the centerpiece character. Everything kind of revolves around him. And then, you know, as I said before, certainly Egg is one of the most kind of you know compelling stories of the of the film. Yeah, and uh, I guess with Dark, you know, he's dating what is Rachel True's character's name? Mel. Mel. Sorry, oh. I, I'm going to be doing this all day. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's dating Mel, and Mel's also dating Lucifer. Lucifer, right? Lucifer. Interesting combination. I, just to be clear, I don't think Duke and Lar- uh, du- sorry, Duke. I don't think Dark and, and Lucifer are anything to each other. They're just kind of all. No. They're kind of just yeah. both dating Mel, and he kind of realizes he's not too happy with the status of his relationship, <laughs> and he wants, I guess, Mel to be, you know exclusive to him it's it's hard when you find out like you're a third wheel in a poly relationship sometimes um but and that's like another thing about this movie i never picked up on is maybe i just there's so much to pick up on but like regarding the sexuality like it isn't just about like being gay or bi or trans but like it's like i never i don't can't recall another movie where i've i've seen like a poly relationship explored you know in a teen setting before so that was really interesting and the dynamics of that seem uh very complex um and something that i don't know you know definitely the director writer probably has like way more insight on but that's another reason i love this movie is because it's coming from a guy whose perspective i don't have right like it's such a fresh different thing it's like why you watch movies is because i don't think like him you know i never would have thought like this especially in 1997 so it's all just like a great experience yeah and as he's along throughout the movie too he's also developing feelings for montgomery um who's really like this kind of I don't know, like kind of like an innocent character. And I thought it really represented like, you know, when you first develop a crush on someone, like everything they do is not amazing, but it's almost like portrayed in such a different light in your head. And I think we kind of see it here. Uh, What did you think of the whole, I don't want to call it love triangle. So many people are involved, but what did you think of the whole thing? his involvement with Montgomery too, and how that is kind of driving the plot here. Right. Because that's the first scene is that begins with, with this sort of daydream, you know, an infatuation daydream he has of Montgomery and then is kind of woken up into his reality. I also love the, the, the very obvious uh, moment right after he's caught uh, masturbating, he wraps himself in, a, in an American flag. <laughs> yeah. What an image. I mean, yeah, yeah, definitely not an accident. Again, another element in the uh, the art direction there. Well, the bathroom scenes all around are so strange. Like you have a brother peeing in front of his sister and you have like a right. guy walking in on somebody. Like all kinds of taboos are just being like thrown out the window left and right. Right. Every character, it seems, kind of has this... Um, has something in the in the background or some or some element that kind of is symbolizes their you know what what their character is like you know when we first meet dark he you know in the background there's a if you notice there's there's a a mural in the back which is basically a picture of him with a gun to his head oh yeah yeah, yeah. one character like the the motorcycle hunk elvis in his room has like a um a small statue of Michelangelo's David. So it's again, it's like every, all these little things that are kind of like showing, showing how they see themselves, how the, and how we're, we're supposed to see them. Yeah. I mean, 
these locations, I mean, I know they're not actual locations, but these, you know, set pieces are just, you know, insane and, and so yeah. interesting. The outdoor ones too, but, but the in, indoor ones as well. Uh, mm-hmm. They're just in, like, I don't know how else to describe it. Well, there's like, the, like Tim burton is a thing, but like even he got his stuff from like the German expressionists, right? But like there's a really Absolutely. great sort of like neo-American expressionistic nightmare going on with this movie where he's just like taking all that and and sort of just drowning it in all of his like personality you know and seeing how it comes out on the other side and it's just like this freaking daydream that never ends apparently but like for all of its craziness there's like such an organicness to the way that it feels you know and because i think at its core hanging it on that high school sort of hanger inherently like a lot of these topics a lot of these subjects are very relevant and so he can go through some of these motions that would otherwise be sort of cliche and sort of twist them and see like oh they are they're almost a double cliche now and it works yeah and the fact that we're building to a party now i haven't seen a high school party a scene like this one but the fact that we're building to you know the party at juju fruits house is just amazing i, I you know i like that i like that aspect of the film and i don't know if we mentioned it yet it, this film's only like 80 minutes long right right yeah and so much happens in that time <laughs> oh yeah it's and like it's the so condensed. yeah <laughs> like I, yeah. I, i've never felt like oh my god we're not going to cover you know, enough of this film or, you know, we'll never get to it in an 80 minute film. It's amazing, but a lot right. happens. It's, it's an incredibly dense film. Yeah. And I, I love the taking the idea of the, the climactic party, because that's such a, um, an element of these youth driven films. And like you said, this, it, this party is, uh, is like no other in any, in any other kind of youth movie we've seen. No, <laughs> it, cert- it certainly isn't. I mean- I mean, it feels like an end of the world party, you know, like I've been to and played some high school parties and they've never been anything like, like, I can't hardly wait, Brian, like that whole movie's a party. Like even that is never, I've never been to a party like that, but like, yeah, this, this, I remember thinking this is when the world's actually going to end. We're going to see way more lizard people. They're going to start shooting all these kids left and right. Uh, Dark is going to get beamed up and it's going to, he's going to fly off and then, you know, uh, maybe he'll wake up the next morning in bed and the viewer will be like, what the fuck? Uh, But no, like, it it just like a a fight breaks out, like a drug dealer gets murdered by Elvis. Oh my God. Like the spontaneity of that is just shocking. Oh yeah. The, the whole, the the whole scene where he just, just destroys that, that guy's head. oh my god and Uh, just has this like look in his eye right and mm -hmm. and that's why everything does feel like people are doing this they're acting like this because the world is gonna end but no it's not but in a way you know to them each personally in a way i suppose it is and for some of them it will be their last night on earth whether right you know suicide or what have you random fun fact when i first came out to uh los angeles i was in an acting class with the actor who played elvis Oh, oh, cool. Yeah. Did, did you know him from this movie then? or <laughs> I hadn't seen it yet. So I okay. knew he had he'd done a lot of work in the 90s. So he was, you know, there was a lot of people like that who were, were cool. some were newer to the crafts. Other were, you know, had been, you know, had been been working for a while. So I knew, you know, he had done a, a few things like that. He was also 
He's also in the the Stuart Gordon R.I.P. movie Robot Jocks. Oh, okay, cool. I like that movie. I like all the Stuart Gordon stuff, actually. So yeah, Robot oh. Jocks. Yeah, Robot jocks. it's kind of like it's kind of like Pacific Rim without the monsters. Like it's just about jocks who fight with robots. It's kind of in the title. It's kind of like um like yeah Pacific Rim by way of Roger Corman with a little more money. Ooh, I like it. <laughs> I don't know if you remember, was it that Hugh Jackman movie where him and his son did Rock'em Sock'em Real Steel? Robots? Real Steel, yeah. Yeah, it's sort of like big Real Steel. Like, really big steal. Gotcha. Good to know. I mean, it's fun. Never heard of it. <laughs> Sorry, I was looking up this actor's name. Uh, Time Lewis. Yeah, Time Lewis. Oh, okay. Cool. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Before we get into, like, the ending and the party and stuff like that, Oh yeah. you mentioned uh, Egg, because Egg kind of has this side plot that's not related to the party at all. As we mentioned, she meets this dude, and they have, like, it's weird, because when they're taking you out of their dates are so... Like you're in like a Manet or, or maybe it's Monet. I can't remember which one right now. Monet, definitely. <laughs> like you're in a Monet painting, not in looks wise, but like in some of those settings. And it, mm-hmm. it, it's looking so beautiful. And you're like, oh, this is nice. This is like a nice little cute little break from something like, but what's going to happen, you know? And oh my God, it's so first, I mean, you know, I'm dancing around it. She's brutally raped by this guy. Right. Who's only credited as teen idol. Mm-hmm. Terrible. Yeah. Yeah, which is which again. There's a there's a metaphor to that of just of being completely destroyed by the you know the by sort of the you know the um, the idols of our culture of you know of our teen culture. There's yeah. also something so like there's such a reverse with that character in a weird way where it's like he's the only one who doesn't seem like he's out of his mind. Like he he's dressed normal. He's got mm-hmm. a normal haircut. Oh, quote unquote normal. I mean, you know, as far as like. Uh, mainstream is talking like he doesn't have purple hair uh, you know like he's not wearing you know his clothes backwards or inside out or anything crazy like that but yet he almost turns out to be the worst out of everybody right like he's the only one who brutally rapes anybody he's the only one that kind of aside from Elvis he's the only one that harms anyone and Elvis isn't really in their circle anyway he's sort of like this weird outsider kind of He's kind of an outsider too, but on the uh, but in a different in a different sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like this guy is a definite wolf in sheep's clothing sort of thing, and I love the metaphor. I or maybe one way to read it is yeah, the mainstream what you've been fed, what you've been sold, what you've been told to be like is way worse than being yourself. Right. Then look at these right. other kids who are who are expressing themselves and trying to figure out who they are by themselves and with each other and they're not hurting anybody you know so right. Yeah. right the you know the things that seem the safest that seem the the kindest on the on the surface you know can actually be the most insidious because you are really kind of you're not allowing yourself to really grow you're kind of shoving yourself in a certain box and it's really compromising your your soul in the you know in the long term yeah because like she's she egg is like one of the only people who that we see that doesn't attend the party that's really like chasing a different sort of like dream for the day at least or dream overall and she ends up with the you know most terrible consequences uh because they're watching the televangelists when they're together right like before bad stuff happens yes and then she's watching it afterwards almost a kind of you know kind of trying to to save her soul at that point that's such a 
a pervasive theme we see in society of you know people blaming themselves for the abuse that they have uh, withstand and also like turning to religion for conversions and things like that as well was like a right. huge sort of thing i was getting a vibe from here too 100 percent. yes and of course uh god she ends up uh what's it called killing herself obviously uh, <laughs> what's I, it called <laughs> no i just don't you know these are tough things to talk about. I thought you were trying yeah. to think of another term for this. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. was a little bit, but yes, you know, she commits suicide. Yes. And it, it really is important that if you haven't seen this film, and I know it's really hard to see to watch this film, because probably us talking about it, you might be like, what the? Like, this is the worst film ever, because it's just like, you know, rape, suicide and stuff. But it is, obviously, you have to see it in, like, the metaphor eyes. That's There's all, I mean, people praise, and I'm one of them, who praises Death Wish, you know, and especially Death Wish 3. Mm-hmm. Like, it's incredible. But those movies are predicated on rape and violence. Like, you know, the guy is after the people who raped and killed his family. And, you know, in hindsight, like, all that shit sucks. Like, it didn't have to be. And it's sort of a product of their time. And I also think that's coming through a little bit here. Is like, it's a time, it's always going to be a timely topic unfortunately this movie feels very prescient even though it was made like 20 years ago yeah over 20 years ago yeah that was one of, i was gonna say it to the end but that was one of the things that really i was most impressed with this film is like its relevance even today it didn't feel and of course there were things that were dated because of no like, cell phones <laughs> no, yeah no cell phones at that time yeah people who are in it especially like some of the stuff they're making fun of but it wasn't like incredibly dated. It felt really relevant. Like if you bought in, like it felt relevant to everything that's happening today as well. Yeah, yeah. I convinced I convinced myself early on, even rewatching it in 2020. This is just an alternate universe. Like this is basically like this is like when you watch Watchmen and you're like, oh, they don't they don't have internet and it's 2020. But like, yeah, it's an alternate universe. So like that's sort of I just wrap my mind around that instantly and just relaxed about it. What did you think of this uh, character? I think his name is Bart. Um, he also like kills himself with, while watching the televangelist, and uh, he he's the one with the Brady Bunch parents, right? Yeah. He, yes, that's his parents. Yeah. He, I think, is like the masochist that walks. That that is he the one that goes to like the S and M and everything, or am I? That might be a different character. That happened in this movie, right? I'm pretty sure you could just throw a stone and it happened in this movie, but <laughs> who knows? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was a little confused by the Bart character. Did you have a read on him or what was going on really with this situation? He was hard to decipher, wasn't he? Just mm-hmm. he meets a similar fate, but each arc is markedly different, of course. Yeah. He sticks his head in the oven. I think a big yeah. part of that, like a big part of his sort of storyline is, you know, kind of, we see the most of his parents in his home life, I feel. Um, right. And when his parents speak, it's, gibberish or it sounds sort of like Swedish or whatever like there you know it's a whole thing like we don't speak the same language like I can't even understand my parents what they're talking about and uh, they don't really seem to be engaging with him on the level of uh, listening they just seem to be talking and so I think there's a lot of that going on you know um, he seems very melancholy the entire film and how can you in this world where so much crazy shit is always happening I mean I kind of have anxiety in our world like if I lived there I would be a tweaker like I'd be out of my mind (laughs) all the time like just looking over my shoulder making sure like no one's like there's no lizard people after me just everything 
Yeah, I just found it interesting that like these like suicides happen at the same time, like almost exactly the same time, right? And for me, I guess the traditional movie watcher, like usually that would feel like I should feel equal importance or a connection to both these characters. And like I got what he was trying to say with Bart. I just I was so much more invested in egg storyline than whatever the Bart storyline was. Well, I feel, I mean, not to say like either, it's hard to talk about because I want to say like, I don't want to say like you can justify these suicides or anything, but you, you know, Egg went through way worse than what he did, right? Like what's he going through? He just kind of is like, can't. it seems like he can't understand what's going on. He's kind of poor, but like she went through this horrific trauma, like just then, you know, after seemingly having a very sheltered life. So you know, story-wise, maybe they're trying to say, like, they did the same thing, but the meanings, you know, aren't always the same about what they did, right? Like, mm. it's not just, you know, it could be a huge thing or it can be a small thing, but suicide is an issue, right? Like, right. people blow things out of proportion or things are actually blow out of proportion and out of your control. Right, yeah, and the, there, there's definitely the theme of, taking that classic, the classic theme of the the barrier between children and their parents and, you know, taking it to this surreal level and, you know, you know, having the parents just constantly just incubating in front of the television and, um, and Egg's parent and Egg's father, you know, never, you know, only speaking to her through the door frame and just, there's always this sort of barrier between them and, you know, this kind of, you know, they're never really able to to fully communicate or be seen. Yeah, I mean that's that's definitely interesting. Uh again, I bet we could take almost every character in this film just focus on that and and try to figure out <laughs> what the Yeah, you is. can just like oh, right. blow, you know kind of blow up that you know the world of that one character. I mean, you know, that that's what's just so fascinating about this film. I mean, yeah, it should be taught like it's, this should be taught in college or something like I wish, you know, like if I was Absolutely. if I was teaching film, I'd I'd be like, yeah, this is on the thesis. <laughs> I would like to take that class. <laughs> right. I love these the you know the way that the characters fit these kind of warped archetypes but then are so just so deeply human as well. Yeah. Um, before, you know, we talk about the party and just the end of, yeah. of a dark storyline and such. Um, another, I guess, couple I wanted to point out was Zero and Mina Savari's character. I forgot her name as well. But yes. I mean, what do you guys think of these two almost youngins, if you will, like trying to like score that party invite and just. Yeah. Then, yeah. Then, yeah. Then having that kind of iconic, like, moment at lookout point or what or uh, or you know that, yeah, that, yeah. that that classic moment that's that, that's very quickly interrupted i liked seeing it because it was just so um tropey but like i liked seeing it in the backdrop of other things i was them like i remember because i have older siblings so i remember always wanting to go along and go to the parties when i was too young and they were old enough and all the high school parties and when I was still in middle school and everything like that. So I right. completely identified with those two. Maybe the maybe the most back, back <laughs> you know when I first saw this is like, yeah. yeah, like always kind of just like nothing to do. You're too young to, you know, to drink or anything. So you just go searching for something to do. I love that. I mean, I did not have a girlfriend at that age. They seem extremely young to be that sexually active because they, right. they know a lot, but, you know, good good enough for them. They seem responsible enough. Like, funny enough, they seem like two of the more well-adjusted people in this entire movie, the, the two youngsters. Right. Yeah, well, you know, give them a couple of years, see what happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wait, I think my wife's about to come in, so... 
give me one second because the door is and the dog will bark. Yeah. Behind the scenes. Womp womp womp. This is the show behind the show. The show behind the show. That's right. Nope, just a menu guy. So <laughs> bummer. Does he have a thoughts? Thoughts on this? <laughs> yeah. Hey, <laughs> hey <you> <laughs> Just show him one scene of random scene. People hold hold. <laughs> I'd listen to that podcast. <laughs> just, uh, uh, just inflicting this movie on unsuspecting people. <laughs> I'm just going to put you in a room for 78 minutes and I'll see you then. <laughs> What's your thoughts on nowhere? Um, where were we? Oh, I just wanted to like point that couple out because yeah, I was interested in their story. I don't know why. Maybe because I'm trained to be, especially with this podcast, but I was super interested in finding out what was going to happen to them. So the party, the party at Juju's Fruits, does it meet your expectations? It, it exceeded mine in terms of the fucked oh upness. God. Also worth pointing out, uh, Juju Fruit is played by one of the members of the Butthole Surfers. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Cool. They, were, they were huge when I was in high school. Them in ministry. Absolutely. I had those albums. Hell yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess, wait, does Kick the Can happen before the party? Yeah. Okay. Right? Yeah. Just before, right? Yeah, I'm getting like the order confused. I mean, understand. Yeah, because they're talking about it in the same breath. It's like we're going to you know, do Kick the Can. We're going to do the party. Yeah. I mean, any thoughts on Kick the Can before I guess we really talk about uh, the well, party? Well, I think the only way to make Kick the Can exciting in the modern age is on hard drugs, uh, right? Nice. Like, who? <laughs> I mean, I could understand when Kick the Can was invented, there wasn't a lot of shit to do, you know, for, for excitement and entertainment outside. So, like, I just got a kick out of them playing like this super old game that their grandparents played but putting like this incredibly new spin on it by like we're gonna drop first and then we're gonna try to play kick the can and then they're and not think, really gonna yeah. play kick the can we're probably just gonna pair off and like have sex or something but right yeah i mean i think i think that is such a there's such a truth in that in that depiction of the idea of people wanting this kind of experience, this re- you know, this really profound experience on drugs when you're at that age, and so often you would just end up doing something pretty innocuous and stupid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was really curious yeah. about this as I was like moving along in the movie because I'm like, are they actually going to play kick the can or is this some slang for something else yeah but. and then it's literal and then they are literally playing kick the can and the <laughs> idea that just yeah that there's all this sort of mythos built around you know a juvenile childhood game yeah it's so brilliant i think and this is where montgomery kind of goes off right and i guess eventually yeah well he kind of comes back yeah <laughs> yeah he, he returns and and then right he goes away it's very interesting you know we'll get to his ending for sure Oh my goodness! Yes, um, it's Kafka-esque fate. <laughs> oh my goodness! Um, yeah, def- a lot of different things there. Um, but but yeah, but the, yeah, there's this there's this ongoing you know, theme throughout the film of, of aliens, of alien abduction, and uh, you know several characters who have been abducted or obliterated by aliens throughout. Yes, the lizard people. Like it's uh it's interesting. <laughs> but I must yeah. I must forget about those that stuff a lot as I'm going mm-hmm, through mm-hmm. and then oh shit, I forgot like this has these elements here. <laughs> right. It's kind of like um this I don't know if it's supposed to be like a red herring where it's like maybe this really is like I was saying like an alien invasion movie or something. <laughs> but but I think ultimately it comes down to more about like alienation uh than actual aliens being 
you know, setting foot on our nation. You know, right. we, we are the aliens, right? Essentially, you know. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and this idea of of being abducted, of, of wanting of wanting to escape. I mean, in addition to like you know this end of the world thing, like uh, Gregor Rocky has also used this idea of alien abduction. I mean, that was a big uh, in his movies. That was a big element of Mysterious Skin. You know, alien abduction is used as kind of a cover up for childhood trauma. And mm. so in this one, it's, um, I don't know what, how did you feel it, it fit in thematically? What was, what do you think was the kind of the, the, them, you know, the thematic underlayer to the, you know, this idea of alien abduction? I honestly wasn't sure. I was going to ask you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I hated it, especially, uh, I do like the ending and, you know, we'll talk about that, but oh, yeah. I would, like I said, I kept forgetting about it almost to be completely honest with you. Um, while all this sure. other stuff's going on, it was something that just kept, oh yeah, there's this, oh yeah, there's this. Like, I wonder how they're going to pay this off. It's probably not one of the things that stuck out to me the most until the ending. Like, I I almost thought, like, are they hallucinating or something? Like, is it mm-hmm. real? So it wasn't, it, yeah. yeah, but like, it's, it is paid off. <laughs> I was thinking all those too, Brian. Is he just hallucinating that? Is it part of his psychosis? Because like it almost it almost doesn't, you know, get resolved or come back at the end. And then part of me was like, is this just like an Independence Day joke? Like, is this seriously just <laughs> thrown in there to say like they're making fun of big giant blockbuster alien invasion apocalypse films with a guy who starred in one of the biggest alien invasion you know movies ever that was ever created right Um, i mean that's a good call i wasn't even thinking of that either (laughs) i mean with the references they make throughout the throughout the film it's certainly within the realm of possibility yeah for sure there's so many of these meta pop culture references throughout that's why we talk a film out you discover some cool new things well, it's yeah, yeah, and I remember Galen when us we sort of all mentioned nine hundred two and O earlier, and there are like two or three people from that show popping up in this movie. So it's all like right. twisted, interconnected, yeah, <laughs> incestual, if you will. I don't know. In- yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the more taboo way to put it. <laughs> right. So, so it all kind of culminates at at Juji Fruit's party. So at this party, this is where Dark kind of, this is when he confronts uh, Rachel True's character uh, about a bunch of stuff. She ends up with those twins. The two blonde twins. They are famous twins. I just don't know from what, probably like a Doubleman commercial or whatever. Uh, (laughs) I mean, knowing this, yeah, that's probably, that would, something like that. (laughs) Dark kind of realizes that like, you know, she's not worth it and he's, doesn't really know what to do when Lucifer is also kind of like pissed off at what's going on. Right. Cause like he kind of just wanted Mel for his own, but right. when he sees like, Hey, it's not just a me problem. It's just, this is more of a Mel quote unquote problem, but you know, she's just doing her thing that like, maybe I should reconsider it. And that's kind of, you kind of knew that he was like gravitating toward Montgomery. Absolutely. I guess what'd you guys think of, the ending before the ending. Well, I'll put it that way. <laughs> there's the moment he kind of redeems himself because there's Egg's brother, uh, Ducky, um, jump, tries to drown himself in the pool. And so they, in altercation, is interrupted by that. And then they, they end up saving him. So that kind of, that, that kind of takes him out of his other situation and kind of allows him to, you know, redeem himself and kind of save this disastrous party a little bit. Yeah, this party is out of control. It's like, <laughs> but but what a great backdrop to sort of clear the air for everything because a lot of stuff did really happen in high school parties. Like tons of drama always unfolded. Yeah. So all that feels very organic. Yeah. This and, is this is like 
this is like every single party in high school in one night. Yeah, yeah. I lo- and I like what you say about him sort of redeeming himself, Dark, because, um, like, you know, I think once once Lucifer is sort of like, oh, I could kind of handle Mel going out with Dark, but not going out with, like, all these other people either. So right. it's, like, really interesting to see everybody's breaking point or what, what it causes to strain them and things like that. But then to just be sort of, like do this heroic thing almost on instinct you're like oh he actually like whether he knows it or not like he values life like he's just saved this dude or or helped save this guy and stuff and like i feel like that's really contrary to you know his character's beliefs a lot of the time where he's just like we're you know it's not worth it nothing's worth anything what is why can't i be happy and everything right so i thought that was very interesting that that he reacted in that way exactly yeah because it's and it's really his i mean i mean it is it's so much an ensemble piece but it, i think it is his story that kind of drives it it's you know because he's the one who i, who I think overlaps with the most people and you know and he's the one who's mm-hmm. going through so much so much in this whole day and just at this party you know, going from from that, from saving Ducky to then, you know, you know, when he goes to the bathroom, he see, he witnesses another alien abduction, and then leaves that only to see the the character Elvis killing the guy. Um, what's the character's name? Handjob over the the botched drug deal. Yeah, right next to him too. Like he's just talking to Handjob. They're hanging out, and all of a sudden, then like he shoves him down boom. and just you know completely destroys his head with a toaster. Jesus, yeah. <laughs> time, time to leave that party. <laughs> you know, there's you always you always know when to make an exit. You know, the good ones do. That's for sure. That's for uh, sure. <laughs> it's all about when, knowing when to make that exit. Important skill, but it's that way. <laughs> right. So, so he finally, yeah, he makes it out just just at the right moment. But the cops ever like a factor to show? I think everyone was more uh, sort of afraid of the Atari gang showing up. The Atari, than the cops. <laughs> I mean, who isn't? You know. <laughs> very fair yeah pretty much very fair yes the atari gang how how would we describe them they're they were so interesting they're just like this futuristic you know la gang like i I think i wonder if they're almost like a joke on how out of proportion i mean maybe yet sometimes rightfully but just like how out of out of proportion the media would would do like bloods crips and east coast west coast battles and it made you feel like warriors was a real thing in la like the movie like that there were roaming gangs that dressed up like people and i think maybe this might have been sort of a comment on that being like you know it's it's not like the baseball furies are literally roaming the streets out here it's not those types of gangs yeah it was movie it is it was like it, it was like warriors by way of barbarella yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's a, that's a good way to put it. They almost look like at the end of Rocky Horror, how um, like their right. original like outfits from space that they right. come the out wearing. Outfits, <laughs> the space outfits at the end with you know, riff, riff raff and yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, I mean, I love I love some of these lines we get uh, towards the end of this film as we move to uh, Dark and Montgomery coming together. Yeah. Well, that, that that diary entry is, is yeah was so moving. I wrote some of them down. Like our generation is going to witness the end of everything. I'm doomed. I'm only 18 years old, and I'm totally doomed. And you feel like that as a teenager. You really do. Every generation thinks they're the last generation. I, like I got a real <laughs> kick out of that. Like in a positive and like an emotional way, if that makes sense. Yeah. It made me feel for teens of this generation and what they're going through now, where they, this might be the end. <laughs> I don't know exactly what's going on outside every day, but yeah. Well, it's always it's it's always something something unprecedented. I think every generation 
not to get too off topic, but I think every generation goes, you know, has that kind of unprecedented thing they go through. I mean, like, you know, for, you know, when I was a kid growing up, it was, you know, um, you know, it was like the, the Iraq war. And then, um, and then 10 years later, it was 9-11. And, you know, there's always something where it's like, are we going to live through this? Are we going to survive this? And, you know, I mean, we're still here, but it's like, there's always that moment of like, well, this is new. Yeah. I mean, and I think like the alien invasion for them kind of symbolizes it because it apparently is happening or it could be happening, but so many other things in their own lives as teenagers are taking precedence over it. I know. Speaking of which, I read um, that apparently the uh, on the second day of filming this, they um, art imitating life, they had the they experienced the LA earthquake. Oh, oh wow! <laughs> so they, they were kind of going through experiencing that same feeling on set. Yeah, it's so crazy. I mean, I'm not surprised, but yeah, like I think you know that's one of my biggest takeaways here that like it always feels like the end of the world. That's not to downplay what's going on. No, you know, in real life, by the way, but. It's, yeah, every generation has to deal with these things, but it's also, it's like the battle around you, but also the battle within, not to get like, try, try to be Zen or anything, but. I think that's totally right. Yeah. And I mean, I think there's a kind of a universality of it. It's like, yeah, it doesn't under, undermine it at all. It, it, you know, it's, it, you know, ev- you know, we all go through that in, in a, you know, in one way or another. And- yeah. And it's especially like highlighted, I guess, when you're a teenager, when you're growing up, when you're starting to realize these things, it's that whole innocence loss thing. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. um, I-, I love the way that this movie kind of builds to these conclusions. Well, it's interesting. I think earlier at one point we mentioned that it's almost like they, they talk in this weird sort of twisted Shakespeare, but I also feel like yeah. this entire movie has that type of merit where it's like this incredible tone poem that maintains like establishes maintains and i think really communicates a certain feeling and emotion of what it's like to be a teenager and especially from dark's perspective and point of view like i feel like everybody can relate to him on one level or another and so that's that's not easy man like that you know that's hard to like even for someone with a vision to stay true to that vision and be able to execute it um yeah, is it takes a lot yeah. of talent. Yeah. And you think this movie is going to kind of have a happy ending, right, with Montgomery? Like, it seems kind of hopeful. I know. Like, you just, <laughs> like, I don't know why I trust they this movie. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, every time. It's so abusive. It's so crazy. They, yeah. They, so, yeah, they tease you at the end, but... <laughs> um, yeah. who, who wants the honors? Who wants the honors? <laughs> Montgomery. Montgomery, what is it? Montgomery! Montgomery! Tell me what it is! Please! Montgomery! Montgomery! Oh my god! Stop! Montgomery! Montgomery! I'm out of here. I mean, I 
I don't know. I what? mean, it's Brian's show. I mean, I just feel like <laughs> the, the most unpredictable thing that could have happened actually happens, but like also feels like super appropriate at that time at the same time. And uh, basically Montgomery just like starts feeling like sick. He's like, I don't feel so good. Oh. He, he explodes and turns into a cockroach. Like a huge, yeah, wrote- giant, you know, metamorphosis, metamorphosis-sized cockroach, and just uh, says like, "I'm out of here." I'm out of here, and scurries out the door, hard out, what? the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, that's literally what I wrote. Montgomery blows up and turns into an insect. Wow. <laughs> yeah, like I wasn't. Yeah, at first I wasn't sure. As like, like you know, after he got probed, like, did he? Did they? Uh, did they like breed insects inside him that exploded? But then, but then I was like, oh, but that's but he is talking in Montgomery's voice, even though it's like it's this big bloody mess, and then there is a big giant bug. It's like okay, is, I guess it is still. I guess we are to believe that it is still Montgomery, but in just a big uh, gross cockroach. I guess so. I mean, I feel like the yeah, I feel like also the interpretation is like whatever you can come up with could probably fit as an answer. Like for me, what I was like trying to cobble together like a meaning behind it, and it's like, well, as soon as Montgomery sort of gave in to what he wanted and feeling, uh, maybe that changed, and maybe he decided that's not what he wanted, and in the most sort of abrupt, drastic way possible of representing that like he completely switches species and leaves the room immediately only to uh leave our hero completely befuddled uh and Comple- not ever and completely getting, alone completely and completely alone. alone right and you know not getting what he actually deserves which i felt was he this guy actually deserves to be pretty happy like i'm on dark side i was really rooting for him absolutely yeah yeah i mean i think there is that i mean there is like that thinly veiled idea of you know of being of of feeling alienated and then you know you know and then having the the ultimate form of alienation uh, you know you know being represented by turning into an alien bug and it, yeah and I, I also I love how he just kind of I, I love with that that kind of Corman style effect of just like the the sort of uh, the sort of bug sort of awkwardly like sideways falling out the window oh, that, yeah. was, that was really cute i like that it reminded me i don't know if you guys have heard of joe's apartment uh oh, of course. <laughs> yeah it reminded we've me a lot of that <laughs> you have For, that's a high school no, no, movie? We, we've we've talked about it oh, oh you've re- brought it up before referred Paul. to it because first technical mtv movie ever so oh brought okay. it up on the uh, beavis and butthead episode and, and i think another thing but yeah nice joe's apartment classic um, for me, yeah, it just like reminded me of just we've all been through it, right? Like where we really put our trust in someone, and yeah. they they violate that trust in one way or another, and maybe violate is too strong of a word, but yeah, we all like it's it's the feeling of a broken heart exemplified by him <laughs> turning into an insect, right? You know, I mean, I think we've had we've all had that moment where we the, the our first moments of getting our heart broken the first moment where we truly make ourselves vulnerable and then it usually is followed by feeling completely alone completely abandoned completely isolated ain't it the truth Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i mean this is how the movie ends um it's yeah you're welcome yeah <laughs> <laughs> how many oh, more man. subscribers are you going to get now brian people are going to be <laughs> Leaving in droves, being like, "What are they watching over there?" I, mean, I don't know. I'd like to think the uh, you know fans of Gregor Rocky and the Teenage Apocalypse trilogy are gonna you know are gonna be 
on sign on for the long haul. Oh, that's a better call. Yeah, hopefully you'll reach out and find even more fans, Brian. Like this could generate a whole new audience. True. It's, it's the niche, you, you know. Yeah. I, yeah, I know. Yeah, I was I was hearing a, an interview with him, and he and Rocky uh, described this trilogy. Like the theme of this trilogy is teenagers living under the shroud of doom, which I just thought was great. I think that pretty much sums it up. Yeah, that is great. I love that. <laughs> I think it's so helpful too for teenagers because a lot of times I don't think you can really pinpoint your feelings or what you're thinking a lot, and for him to put such a sort of fine point on it and by saying no you're experiencing dread and doom like let me just tell you and that way you can at least like cope with it or deal with it or figure out you know how to work around it and stuff so i mean if, yeah, some, I if someone had said that to me as a teenager i think i'd have had maybe like a bit of an easier time that's a good call you know yeah i mean if someone had said to me you know being a teenager is kind of like exploding and turning into an alien bug i'd be like <laughs> yes finally <laughs> Anything else you want to uh, mention in regards to nowhere? If not, we'll just get into our questions. But I mean, th- there's a lot here. So if there's anything you think we skipped or you wanted to particularly bring up, let me know. Um, so I was just going to say, like, I think we covered a lot. I, I can't think of any specific moments necessarily, but I am going to, you know, make myself or I'm going to tell myself to go and watch more of uh, Greg Araki's movies. I want to finish up this trilogy. I want to see like his more recent stuff. Like I am, uh, you know, I'm at the beginning of the episode. I was like, Oh, I never want to watch this movie again. I was kind of joking. <laughs> I'm just, you know, it's just an intense movie. I would watch this again. Um, I think I would encourage people to check out his work. I, he is very, um, very much his own artist. I don't think a lot of people are doing anything close to his stuff. And so I'm actually really glad that Galen suggested this and had an opportunity to uh, explore it further. Yeah, we may need to uh, get together again and do the other films in this trilogy at a later date. That's true. That's true. They're all teenage-based films. So yeah, that's, that, that, that's a good call. Yeah, I'm glad we were able to you know, get into this one. I think this is a, it's a good introduction because it is kind of an... It's very much an... an everything including the kitchen sink kind of movie he just goes completely you know f- you know full stop on this one you know and it's um it's an, it's an incredible ride the visuals are incredible i i also in, encourage people to check out his his other films um if you want a real a real contrast to this one but but still completely batch it as um um, the uh, the movie Smiley Face with Anna Ferris, which is kind of his version of like a stoner comedy. <laughs> I'll definitely check that out. That's uh, yeah, like it's, it's this is my one. first Iraqi film. So yeah. okay, then uh, a lot of these awards seem silly for a movie like this, but we're gonna do them anyway. Uh, sure. <laughs> Wooderson Award. Is there a character here who stood out more than some others, or who you would have liked to seen get more screen time? A lot of characters here. So actually this award I feel like is applicable. Like if you're like, oh, that storyline seemed cool. I mean, it could be, I mean, pick one. It's true, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, I love, I, I've, said, I've said before that I, I, I loved Egg's storyline. I could have I seen more of her. There was obviously a finality to it and, um, um, I, you know, I think that was, it was handled beautifully. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. There's, there, there's, I think there's just, there's so, there's so many, there are those three Valley girls that were like the first to get evaporated um, by the alien. You know, we just see a little bit of them and then they, yeah, <laughs> yeah. and I forget who that, who that was. There was, again, it was, um, 
it was some incredible cameo and then and then only to be obliterated i i mean yeah there's so many i uh i struggle because i feel like i uh like there's so many people but everybody you get like just maybe you get enough because what you get is so intense with everybody it's like you could right. sort of expand on everything but you get enough i feel for this movie uh, I, surprisingly i feel like if i want to see any more of anything it's some adults like i want to see beverly d'angelo with an extra scene i want to see john ritter in an extra scene like it's that mm. maybe it's that kind of stuff just to get like a little more of uh of an imbalance, even though we do get a pretty big one of how sort of the adults are running around in this universe uh, compared to the children and stuff like, how are they acting? It doesn't seem like any of them are very responsible either. So uh, probably just go like that. It's a good call. Um, now this award, I don't know if it's applicable, but long duck dong award. Uh, is there a character whose omission would have improved the film or whether it's by, again, I don't know if we could say by like being, inappropriate because almost everyone is inappropriate in this film but we'll switch it a little is there any storyline you would maybe take away or mike sorry the weird thing is like you know this feels like a movie that sort of tries to on a level celebrate inclusion right and diversity and all that kind of stuff right so i almost it does it very well yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah. so Mm -hmm. it's almost like everything here belongs here in a in a weird way yeah it's hard to say oh this you know this thing doesn't belong here this thing doesn't belong because also a lot of the people we get aren't in the film for very long and we don't need a hundred percent payoffs or anyway there was nobody or i'll ask this was there anyone whose storyline was like a little too jarring where it just took you away from the film no i mean the whole movie is chaos and i feel like it kind of it since kind of gives itself carte blanche to, to throw in all these characters but there was nothing nothing that felt gratuitous there was nothing that felt unnecessary it was all just it was all in contribution of this chaos yeah and there were so many different like levels to the chaos as well like it's not all like in a horror movie right like saw movies are chaotic but it's all murder porn and stuff like it's all blood flying and this movie has chaos that isn't violence it's like emotional chaos and things like that and other things right. could just like visual chaos assaulting you and things too so yeah. All right. So this award, I don't think we're going to find it either. I don't think it's applicable, but I'll ask it anyway. Cameron Fry Award. As we know, Alan Ruck was 30 playing a high schooler. Was there anyone who looked like they couldn't be a high schooler? But like my caveat to that is like, did it even really matter in this film? <laughs> well, no, it didn't. I mean, there, yes. I mean, there were there were a number of people who were far too old. I think most people were at least in their tw- mid-20s. But, you know, there's, again, the, the reality we're given here is so skewed. It's you, know, you pretty much give everyone a pass. Yeah, I, I wouldn't even be surprised if Elvis was like a seven-year senior or something like that, you know? <laughs> like, so he's even him, you know, who seems to be the yeah, oldest. Yeah, I, don't, I, I, think, I don't think he's necessarily meant to be a, um, a high schooler. He's kind mm-hmm. of just the... I, don't th- I think he's just, you know, the guy, uh, you know, he, he pretty much just lives on his motorcycle or on beds with beautiful women. All right, then. I mean, that makes total sense because, like, really, if anyone's going to complain about that, there's nothing here that makes it jarring. So much other stuff is jarring, but in in a good way that that's something that, yeah, I I don't think that matters here at all. All right, so Rotten Tomatoes, 27% by the critics, pretty low. But this is a big spread, 76% by the audience. So. That, that's really interesting. I love seeing spreads like this, no matter which way they go, right? Of course, we don't care about Rotten Tomatoes here. We grade things at High School Slumber Party on the good old report card grading system, A plus to F. 
Uh, Mike, why don't you go first? What will you grade? <laughs> Nowhere. Uh, I mean, this is a difficult movie, but I'm, st- I'm going to give this thing, a, I have to give it a solid A. Like, it is just, it's pretty remarkable. Like, extra credit and all that kind of stuff for this, uh, above and beyond. Maybe A plus then, I guess. I don't know. I'm a terrible, wow. you know, if, if you listen to the last couple episodes, I've been throwing A's left and right. Like, I'm the worst <gasps> teacher. A's are more fun. Yeah, A's are more fun. And I mean, what can I say? Like, I got that much out of this movie, and I really think people should check it out more so i want to kind of get on that hype train a little bit here in 2020 let's yeah let's let's do it a plus why not <laughs> how about you galen definitely all for the accolades for this film i i, I film <laughs> like this almost defies a rating system or, or a report mm-hmm. card system you know you it just it pretty much just kind of makes up its own rules this is like this film would go to like one of those like freeform schools where there are no grades and like everyone's given like a oh, yeah. you know and everyone's given a ham sandwich at the end, <laughs> you know. But I, I I would yeah I mean if we're if we're doing this yeah absolutely a, a plus a plus wow okay I have the lowest grading of all of you and I thought it was going to be high but I give it a B plus you're making me jealous of putting that A but I'm going <laughs> to stick to my word not going to go with the peer pressure I really like this film I just I, that's I just a high grade man that's a high grade you know it's, absolutely yeah, I, just, yeah. I don't think it's for everyone I can't imagine my mom watching this movie you know <laughs> but oh no, oh, no. <laughs> i yeah, know i would not i would not show would. this to my parents <laughs> exactly right but i know particular people who would love this film and yeah. some people who would be like what the fuck did i just watch so at the end of the day i mean we're all giving it good grades here uh, i think this is all upper alley and mike you know me i'm i'm a good grader too i it's oh, so yeah, much yeah. fun being positive. So much more fun being positive. <laughs> and it's so hard, too, with this movie in, in particular, because I feel like very little compares to it. You know, you really have to leave yeah. America to find stuff close to this kind of stuff. <laughs> That's a, my frame of mind was. Oh, for Agreed. sure, for sure. We, I, I feel like we can get some cool answers for this next question. So if, if all of us are at our high school slumber party together and... <laughs> We're bringing our custom-made sleeping bags that are nowhere-themed. What do they look like? I'm beating everyone to the punch, and it's it's going to be the, the the big the, the big bloody bug. <laughs> I like that one. I almost wasn't going to bring a sleeping bag because this movie's so free and loose, and I was like, it's going <laughs> to sleep out under the stars in nothing. But uh, I think I'm going to go with like. Um, like a TV test pattern, you know, like the the bars, the test bars. I think mm-hmm. some kid had that in his room in this movie, or it was like a Ooh. motif at one point. So Good like, call. Yeah, I, like I want my sleeping bag to look like a TV test pattern. That's similar to mine. I was going to have like what Rachel True, uh, Mel's room looks like in this. It's like rainbow polka dots. Ah. But I, I might Ooh. switch it. Maybe I'll just do like the American flag towel that uh, – dark wears around his waist and that'll be my sleeping bag so one of the one of those two i like that all right one of my favorite questions every week three of us we're we're in a place that defines logic time and space maybe juju fruits party who knows we (laughs) we, we're in that version of a blockbuster and every film in the history of the world well not future films but every film in the history of the world till this point is in this video store and we get to the front, and we rent Nowhere, despite it not being found anywhere. We find Nowhere at this video store. We're like, yes. And we see a sign. And it says, rent two movies, get one free. And we know we're having a great slumber party tonight. You guys get one pick. What two other movies are we renting in addition to Nowhere? Oh, boy. So only one movie came to mind. 
to be quite honest. I know that might sound crazy, but uh, the only movie I could think of, it's it's about L.A., it takes place in L.A., uh, everybody in the movie's insane and has lost their mind. Uh, the movie's not 100% successful, but I love it to death, and I've seen it so much. It stars Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Sarah Michelle Gellar, and Justin Timberlake, and it's Richard Kelly's Southland Tales. I've never I love seen it. that one. I love it. it. Good call. That's it's a good call, man. It's amazing. I just, I don't know anyone else, like, let alone that's seen it, but, like, I can't find anyone online that loves it. And so, like, I don't know what's wrong. <laughs> Southland Tales. Okay. Was not expecting yeah. that. I'll definitely have to check that out. How about you, Galen? What are we renting as well? I've been, I've been going back and forth on this one, but I think, especially given that, uh, that edition, I'm going to go with another. Um, very recent film, another another kind of me- meandering, chaotic, um, you know, cluster headfuck trip through LA um, under the Silver Lake. Oh yes, that's a great movie. I love that. Yeah, Same. I feel like I'm in a film education course. <laughs> well, these two movies almost couldn't. They feel so far apart, but like they're also yet yeah, like so kind of similar in ways. It's weird. So Southland Tales, Under the Silver Lake, and Nowhere. Sounds like a fun wow. night. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. I mean, can't wait to check it out. And But unfortunately, we need to wrap. We got to kick the can game we got to get to. So. <laughs> every night. Every night before the big party. So uh, where can people follow you, find you, check you out? What is your internet presence if you like to have one? Um, I I can be found on um, at... Uh, um, Instagram, uh, Galen Howard, um, at Galen Howard, and you can see random photos, random wackiness, um, no giant bloody bugs, but, you know, I'm working on it. (laughs) Oh, uh, yeah, you can find me and all my work online at cageclub.me. Check out Third Time's a Charm, uh, new episodes every third of every month. Um, Then there's um, all the other stuff I do with Joey, so Cage Club, Keanu Club, where... Just wrapping up Hanks for the Memories. Uh, so who knows what the future holds over there at cageclub.me. But stay tuned to find out. Well, guys, this was a pleasure. I'm glad I could talk about this film, discover some Gregoraki. I'm definitely going to check out some more. We'll get on the trilogy someday. I think I need a little bit of a break, but excited to you know talk to you guys again in the near future. Thanks as always, Brian. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. On listening to that one again, I think I enjoy the film Nowhere more, if that makes sense. I don't know. That was a blast to talk about. Gregor Racky, we're definitely going to check out more of his films. So big thank you to Galen. Big thank you to Mike. And if Galen sounded a little wonky at times, apologies. We had a pretty bad connection. But I had fun. I feel like they had fun. And I hope you had fun, too. Woo! So your homework for next week? Oh, my God. It's epic. It's a big one. The Godfather himself, Joey Lewandowski, has been waiting for this one. He's been getting on me to do this one, but I feel like we had to do it. We had to do it at the beginning of our junior year. I kind of wanted to do it for episode 150, but it didn't work out with, uh, you know, coordinating with the guest and stuff or my other guest. It's not a big deal. Who celebrates 150 anyway? That was last week. I didn't even realize it was 150 when I put it out. I know that's contradictory to what I just said, but, like, a couple weeks ago, I thought I could do 150. Once I knew I couldn't, I didn't really care what episode 150 was. But The Godfather, Joey Lindowski, was on 150, so great. And he gets a gift for episode 152. This Friday, we are talking 
one of the greats, guys, one of the most iconic teen movies of all time. Where's Alicia Silverstone when I need a clue? Boom! We're talking clueless. So, okay. Like right now, for example, the Hadians need to come to America. But some people are all, what about the strain on our resources? And it's like, when I had this garden party for my father's birthday, right? People came that, like, did not RSVP. So I was, like, totally bugging. I had to haul ass to the kitchen, squish in extra place settings, and, like, people were on mismatched chairs and all. But by the end of the day, it was like, the more, the merrier. And so, if the government could just get to the kitchen, rearrange some things, we could certainly party with the Hadians. Wow. You guys talk like grown-ups. Oh, well, this is a really good school. Mr. Hall was way harsh. He gave me a C minus. <laughs> well, he gave me a C, which drags down my entire average. Hello? There was a stop sign. I totally paused. You tried driving in platforms. Oh, should I write them a note? <gasps> Ew, get off of me. Ah, as if. Cher's got attitude about high school boys. It's a personal choice every woman has got to make for themselves. Cher is saving herself for Luke Perry. Cher, you're a virgin. I mean, I'm not prude. I'm just highly selective. I mean, you see how picky I am about my shoes, and they only go on my feet. Nice stems. Thanks. What the hell is that? A dress. Says who? Calvin Klein. I'm gonna be a supermodel. What are you doing? Yo, you're getting on the freeway! doing any activity where balls fly at my nose. Well, there goes your social life. I'm gonna be a supermodel. I'm gonna be a supermodel. Woo! I'm excited for this one. And we have a great guest. We haven't heard from her in a while, but she's coming back to life for us, and I'm so excited. She is the resident clueless expert, the resident Amy Heckerling expert on the Cage Club Podcast Network, and that is none other than Cara Gail O'Regan. So do your homework, watch Clueless, and listen to the episode on Friday. It's going to be epic. I promise you that. We're going to get into the nitty-gritty of Clueless. Wear your yellow plaid. It's going to be a day. Whatever, I don't know, other lines from Clueless. I'll get better at them by the end of the week. A <laughs> couple other things before I let you go. Social media. Remember, class participation is a huge part of your grade. Participate on Facebook. Participate on Twitter. Participate on Instagram. Participate, participate, participate. I don't care if you're positive or negative in your participation. I recently got a really nasty negative comment. Maybe I'll talk about it. Maybe I won't. But it implied that I was uncool. Of course I'm uncool. I'm home. <laughs> I guess it's the opposite. Of course I'm home, I'm uncool. You'll get that if you're a fan of my other show, P.S. I Love Hoffman, P.S. I Still Love Hoffman, also on the Cage Club Podcast Network. Point is, I love your feedback, positive or negative. Keep it coming. And I got a little piece of advice for you. It's from the film Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Do you know it? I think you do. Life moves pretty fast. 
If you don't stop to look around once in a while, you could miss it. So I'll leave you with a song as we curl into our sleeping bags and hit the hay. Time for that old Betty bye. The song is The Chemical Brothers, Life is Sweet, the Daft Punk remix. Another song from the great Nowhere soundtrack. Again, I really hope you enjoyed that episode. One more thank you to Galen and one more thank you to Mike. Really appreciate it. Later, dudes. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.